All right, welcome to the Snyder and Friends podcast. I actually forget what episode that we are on right now. Um, today, I'm going to be talking with Scott at the uh, 45th Parallel Distillery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Uh, thanks for chiming in. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. I don't know. I can just pick up really quick on this on this bar thing. Yeah. So, well, so, let, hold on. Let me introduce you. Oh, okay. Okay. You're Scott. I'm Scott Davis, and uh, one of the owners of 45th Parallel. Well, I started with Paul. Paul's the principal owner. Okay. Of the place, uh, we're old college roommates. Um, known each other for about 30 years. Lived together in college for about three years. Okay. Um, back in the day, we were fairly young, about 23. Uh, met loading trucks uh, at UPS. Awesome. Yeah. So did you grow up in this area or was it? I grew up in uh, northeast Minneapolis. Uh, Paul's originally from uh, north of Merrill, Wisconsin. In, uh, no, I'm sorry, north of Wausau in Merrill, Wisconsin. And, um, and uh, he moved to uh, Minnesota. Went to, we all both went to the University of Minnesota and uh, he lived in northeast. We lived about five blocks from each other. And um, like I was telling you earlier, in 2005, he approached me and his, his dad when he was alive. We had coffee at a place called Brownies in Northeast, no longer there. And he said, I'm thinking about opening a distillery. And uh, I said, oh, there's no, there's no distilleries around. Well, you know, what's that? And coming from the restaurant side, I had op- owned a few restaurants in town, so I was intrigued. And uh, we had found a building uh, in Northeast Minneapolis and filling out the paperwork for the state of Minnesota, came across the manufacturing of an alcohol permit fee at the time in 2005 in Minnesota, the, the fee was $30,000 per year, and we knew it was $1,000 a year in Wisconsin. And wow. In, in college, we didn't have math at all, but we did the math on that one. Yeah, quick. And uh, came, came over to New Richmond, and uh, the city at that time had an econo- economic development group, and uh, they gave us the land uh, for free as an incentive to uh, build out this area that was just uh, subcontracted as uh, corn and soy, and they wanted to build uh, a business park or industrial a business area, and we were the incentive building. But that being said, you know, they, they didn't put us on the main track on the road. They put us way back in this field. And so we are we biked out here one time and looking at this cornfield, <laughs> go, where is it? <laughs> it's over there. It's right in the middle, like away from everybody. And that was before all these, there's other buildings around yeah, us. Yeah, nothing now. was around us. It was all field, basically. The city was worried to think about any kind of odors coming out of the building. We didn't know either. We didn't know anything about Yeah distilling or making beer we never did either of it um so the learning curve was fairly high and uh finally got opened um in 2007 broke around 2006 we're the f- we're the second distillery in wisconsin uh to open but yeah when we looked around um in minnesota there was no distillery in minnesota or wisconsin so paul was saying let's just push see what see what happens there was somebody that opened up uh, about six months before us um, in milwaukee so I can't remember how many distilleries Wisconsin has now. And when we started in the United States, there's about 55 active working distilleries. So uh, we got our permit fee um, and our permit number, and we're all excited. And so uh, this coming March 23rd, it's going to be our 15 years. Wow. Um, but now there's over you know 3,000 distilleries in the country. So um, I think we ran into the people at Capital Brewery uh, back. We were at these trade shows trying to figure out how much things are going to cost. And... Um, and they said, the distilling industry, and this is 2005, they said, the distilling industry is going to be where the microbrew business was going. It's going to be a boom. And we go, oh, really? I don't see it right now. So uh, 
Would you say that's true? <clears throat> no, definitely now. Everything's craft yeah. spirits. I think uh, even in the legislation, a lot of a lot of monies are being moved to uh, you know pushing through with spirits and not so much with with beer and and wine. They're probably still growing as well. But um, yeah, we see a big growth, big trend right now. And uh, you know, so we opened in 2007. We just had. Uh, absolutely no clue what to do. We found a farmer about eight miles south of us that was growing corn, and we thought, I think we ran into his son, Jonathan, and we thought, ah, oh, man, we could get corn right from him. That'd be great. So we called up, his, his name is Arlen. We became good friends with him, but Arlen uh, said, hey, Arlen, we want to buy some corn. And he was a pretty stoic Scandinavian farmer, and he just said no. He <laughs> no, said no? No, thank you. Why? I, I, I don't think it was, because we didn't have a mill at the time, so he would have to mill the, the corn for us, and mm. the, the amount we were asking for was such a minimal thing. It was just, you know, it was going to be a bother to him. But I think we ran into his son, Jonathan, you know, later on, and I think we kind of hit it off, and we talked to him on Twitter. He, he talked us into it, and so um, one thing led to another, and we were getting corn from the from Russmar Farms, from the Strati family, eight miles south of us. We so... That's still our primary uh, source of, of grain. We get corn, wheat, and rye from them uh, for, our, for our whiskeys and everything that we make here. My dad loves the whiskey. They, so. Him and mom used to come down here yeah, pretty religiously. He did. To he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get free samples. and Miss Brian. Yeah. Uh, um, so now we make uh, a number of things, but we make uh, a bourbon, which is mostly corn, which makes sense. Corn's grown here. Um, we make a rye. And we make a wheat whiskey, which is more of a not 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 not, not that popular in the United States, but it's. Uh, um, we also make a hundred percent rye, and um, because I was having trouble making the rye at the time, and uh, I said, "Paul, it's it's gumming up. We're getting a low yield. It's not tasting good right now. It's you know, two any, two years in a barrel. It's not going to taste good no matter what." And so instead of uh, you know my my thing was like let's not do rye. It's too too much of a pain, and Paul took it as a challenge. So he said, "Well, let's make a hundred percent rye." <laughs> So we have we just released that this year. So we have that out as well. It's, it tastes like apples. So it's just beautiful. Really, nothing really is going to taste good until it's in the barrel for five years. You know, meaning you're not going to get any money until right. It's it's sitting there. It's got to sit there. It. So we store it in, our, in the barrels that we get from uh, down in uh, Missouri, um, and, and it's white oak. And uh, we have a medium char and uh, our staves. It's fairly unique. We found out recently that our staves um, that from this company called McGinnis. Um, that provides the barrels for us. They sit outside for for three years. And they age and they develop all these really interesting characteristics. And the big distillers they'll they'll use this, these aged staves, but only for their higher end uh, bourbons. So uh, when they're aging, that they're just aging the wood. They're aging the wood outside, and they're flat slabs, and they're crossed over, and they you know it rains on them. It develops all these characteristics and these flavors. And so then when you when they char them when they're making the barrels, you get this flavor profile that's really uh, kind of unique. It comes out after four or five years of age time. Well, the, uh, the lift bridge, I know they do their commander release. And I think those, they do that beer in That's right. one of those barrels. They, maybe, they, I think they use our bourbon barrels. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, we have, we have, a, have a, an interesting barrel program. So after we're done with them, we were selling them for a while to breweries, uh, and they would use them for whatever, uh, they, they would want. I think a lot of the sour beers were put in the rye barrels for a while. The last year, or maybe you know, pre-COVID, we started keeping our barrels. You know, we, we had hired a uh, distiller uh, next door before Liftbridge was here. His name is Bob McKenzie, and uh, he's from Scotland originally. 
And so he laid down using our used barrels, um, 20 barrels of uh, an Irish-style whiskey that we'll probably release next year. And cool. then uh, we got 13 barrels of a, a single malt uh, malted barley. We can't call it scotch in the United States. It's a malted barley whiskey um, called Glen Eagle. It's not peated or not or anything like that, but it's kind of like a Glen Livet uh, variation. And that's going to be a while, you know. And we're going to lay down more Scotch style and, and other things using our used barrels. Um, so what's the, what's the deal with that? What you can't call it Scotch, even though it might be the same. Similar yeah, ingredients. It's, a, it's just one of those many rules that you run into. Okay. Um, you know. Oh, it's a rule. You can get fined. Well, yeah, you can't. You can't get your, your label approved by by the government. I see. Scotch, unless it's from Scotland. Okay. So um, there's a couple things like that that you know no one tells us, and we don't know until you run into the situation. Right. So like again, our learning curve was fairly steep, but so in yeah, so in 2007 when we opened, um, we had vodka only. And we, I think we were making, uh, we were making a horseradish vodka for a restaurant in St. Paul called Moscow on the Hill. Ooh, for bloody! I know where that yeah. is, and, and for bloody Marys. Yep, exactly. So yeah. we had we had two, not thinking anything about making that for them, and we had two things, like two brands. We had the vodka, forty fifth, Alcorn, and the and the horseradish, uh, you know, infused vodka. So two thousand nine comes along, and around here in Richmond, everything shut down. The economy kind of tanked. And nobody wanted a bottle of higher-end vodka at $26. And right. It was a little bleak, and we had problems manufacturing the vodka. We had issues because we didn't know, like I said, what we were doing. And so some, some of our bottles were getting returned. We were, Paul and I and his dad, Paul, were dumping these bottles out to get refiltered at midnight, trying to get them back to the distributor, and no one wanted to talk to us, basically. So a lot of money was going out. Paul was feeling a lot of pressure um, to do something else. <laughs> and... Uh, I think, uh, I remember it was in June of 09, they came up to me, Paul and his dad said, I think we have to close the doors. This is not working out. And I said, well, we have to, one more trade show down in Kentucky. Let's go, you know, we're going to go see those, see what's going on down there. So we went to this trade show and we met, uh, that, that's where we met uh, Joe and Elizabeth Henry uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, outside of Madison in Dane County. And about a couple weeks later, they hired us to make uh, a whiskey, a bourbon for them. For for them um, using their grain, so they shipped their grain to us, and uh, we'd make from. So that provided a cash flow. So they wrote us a check that kept us moving forward. Wow, and got um, you through that slump. Got us through that thing, and then we had enough. We had enough cash to lay down barrels for ourselves. And and, and that being said, we, we can't release anything right away, but it to take a few years. But at least we could rely on the something the something that's called contract distilling or private labels for people. We didn't know this existed, you know, as a potential revenue source. And then all of a sudden, um, we're making things for other people. It's kind of a thing. With their label on it, their restaurant or whatever. Their, their label of their brand. Okay. Right. And then uh, they would pick up the barrels, we would fill them, and they would store them in their, their little uh, rickhouse that they had in their farm. And they had a tasting room in their farm. And years went by, and then... The, you know they they uh, they hired us to to bottle it for them. So now they send the barrels back. They select the number of barrels. We'll dump the barrels, um, filter it to the right proof that they want, and they'll send their glass, their bottles, and their packaging here. We'll fill them, and we'll send them out to uh, back to their distributor. Wow! So another 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 you know cash flow source. So because of that, uh, the contract distilling that we do now is about thirty five to forty percent of our production revenue um, that we didn't know that existed as a revenue wow. stream before. So we're pretty much set up to do small to larger size uh, 
private labels for people anywhere in the world. Like, are yeah. you yeah, we got, international well, or? Well, not international, but uh, I mean, we just had a request. I don't think we're going to be able to do it, but if somebody wants to make a potato vodka. There's a group of people that want us to lay down barrels. They don't want a brand. They just want, uh, it's, a, it's an investment group out of Milwaukee. They just, they just want aged whiskey. So we charge them storage for five years and then they're going to sell it like whatever, three or four times what they paid us for it. But it's wow. e- easier money for us. Sure. So that's what I was saying. Wow. Because we didn't know, like, we were ba- barely hanging on. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get pushed through to uh, present day with New Richmond growing with the, with, well, first of all, with the, uh, the bridge going through Stillwater really was a, a good positive boost for uh, this area. So all of a sudden people started moving in here. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and then uh, it's insane. You I can't find a, a house. Yeah, they're building, you know, 100 homes or plus uh, a year bringing people here and, and that kind of led us to um that and other things led us to build a you know during covid we built an event center with a with a restaurant which is awesome so uh so so drove people here and then you know we can sell bottles of course it's wisconsin and uh we sell pizzas we sell cocktails and weddings and celebrations of life and other things in between so are you able to do you sell all over the country then Right now, um, we're we're in, we're in this country. I think we were in Vancouver for a while, but we haven't we haven't really uh, pursued national distribution. It's kind of a pain to go through the red tape on every area that you go to, and you need people in that market. You need to get behind it, and we just don't have enough people to do that. And it kind of doesn't make sense. We can be supportive of our uh, our employees and our family and friends just in this area. Right, that 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 cause we can grow in this area, and it's a growing, it's a growing market. So, um, we're not we're not we're going to be we're not going to overextend ourselves and push ourselves into different corners of the world just because. Yeah, that's a thing. But it 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 was an original dream to get everything placed around the forty fifth parallel. So, to step back a bit, Paul, like I said, is from North Owasa, um, Merrill, Wisconsin. I grew up in Northeast Minneapolis, so we always talked about living our living our lives and dating the same girls in the 45th parallel. So uh, that's why the 45th parallel. And, and by happenstance, the, the, the Strati family that supplies our grain, Russmar Farms, is on 45.00 north latitude. So without us planning it, because if we planned it, it wouldn't have worked. Like they uh, are on. The, the, the farm is on the 45th, exactly. And we're just eight minutes north of it. So yeah. Which is kind of the reason we found New Richmond. We knew we wanted to stay along the 45th when that prohibitive permit fee was in minnesota we just went due east basically so uh yeah i'm looking right now where i live in northeast i'm uh like a point two, like whatever away from the 45th so we all live on the 45th basically so you still you make the commute we all make the commute uh if you our name of our bourbon is border bourbon and paul was thinking that we go across the border um in the last 14, 15 years, so let's call it border bourbon. So when you bring it back to that side, you have to smuggle it in your... In we, your... we have a distributor in Minnesota, too. So. Perfect. So, so, yeah, we're in Minnesota. We're in Iowa, Wisconsin, of course. We were in Michigan, but not, not so much anymore. We were in Chicago, part of Illinois, and not so much. I mean, the markets are tough for that, and we're happy just to grow within our area that we, we, right. we, uh, we manufacture things in. Yep. So, um, so, so the answer your well, no, talk about this bar thing. So we built this. Uh, this this bar, the circle bar. Yeah, the circle bar. We built this event center. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, Paul was in business with our other college roommate for about 10 years. His name is Jeff. And uh, um, so 
we hired Jeff to design the building. So Jeff designed the building and he did all the stonework. And uh, when he when he was uh, when we were might be a long story, but when we were ice fishing, uh, so Jeff has a cabin up in Silver Bay, which is right off Superior, uh, north of Two Harbors. And uh, we go up there ice fishing, and you know, Jeff was talking about the design and what how, what he what he's thinking about. And first of all, he was talking about the doors. He goes, "It's all about the doors, about these doors." And so you can't see them, but these doors are these big, huge doors on both wings of the, this building. They get pushed up in this uh, little cantilever over with these hydraulic rams, and he provided an overhang. And we didn't know what he meant when he talked about the doors, but then we saw them, and uh, it's a large format door, kind of like an airplane. Hanger wing. That's what it reminds and me of. It's, it's really magical when it's the right weather. We open up both sides and it creates this breeze that comes through here that's like, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. In a that's hot Wisconsin summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially if, it, yeah, if it's humid and windy, it stays cool in the building. So it's ideal. So he's talking about the doors. And then when we, we decided to have the, the bar as the main attraction in the restaurant, like the bar should be the focal point. I thought we had talked about doing a, a poured concrete you know, top on the bar like, or whatever it was going to be. And we're ice fishing again the next year, and he's going, it's all about this map bar. And I don't know if we were understanding him. We're like, map bar? What's a map bar? We didn't and, he, and then he doesn't, he doesn't elaborate on it, right? So we go, oh, it's going to be a map bar. Is that part of a, is that a concrete thing? Maybe that is. Right. So, you, you didn't even realize that he was talking realize. about a map. Map. No, not, no, there's no process <laughs> on that. So so we uh, we come in here, we see these uh, a friend of ours from uh, from Madison, Sammy's working with her mom overnight, and he goes, oh, he goes, she said, uh, Jeff hired me to, to, to create this map around the world. So if you, if, so if you look up from above um, on the mezzanine, you'll see a map of the, of the world of around the 45th parallel around the whole bar. So, uh, and then not knowing that the Pacific Ocean was so big, there's a big, vast open space in half <laughs> on, on a quarter of the bar, but it's, you know, it's true to form. I don't know how she did it, put it together. And had, she had pictures everywhere around here. And... Um, and it was uh, so it really works well functionally, um, and that, not just visually and aesthetically, but as people move around in bars and if they order food or order drinks, we'll just set you know we'll set the drink where they order it from, like Ukraine or Wisconsin or, or Wisconsin International or Dateline, middle of the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we call it the Dateline. <laughs> yeah. But then you can find you can find people because it's yeah. a, it's a social gathering around here, and uh, it kind of works functionally as well. Like I said, so no, it's brilliant. When whenever we're done, I should grab my drone. And see if I yeah, can, if you can get up there, I can uh, get up there. I just don't know if I have a wide enough to lens get a visual, because that would be a cool picture. Um, don't kill the drone. I won't kill it. <laughs> I won't. Yeah, this is a, this is a great building. I, my first time in it was last. Uh, I don't know, last week sometime. That you was were, the first time you were making pizza. Oh, you just, I thought you'd been in here before. When no, you saw, oh, I, I've been to the the original production facility. Right. Um, you still do tours in there and whatnot. Yeah. So, so the bar we're sitting on right now, this this horseshoe bar, this is where the tours and tastings start now. So uh, we still have the older uh, our older buddy uh, Steve. Steve has been giving tours for years and years, and we have uh, Tobias who gives tours, Mo- mostly Tobias now. But he'll bring people here. He'll introduce them to to us and to the products, and then walk people through the production area, distilling, you know, bottling, barreling. Uh, barrel storage, and then come back here, and they'll do a flights of of whatever uh, he has set up for them, and they can order food afterwards for that. So, ideally, this is the thought about this event space that we want to provide, you know, revenue um, on the food side, cocktails, tours and tastings, and events, and they all come at the same time, and it's you know it really works well. And you brought up Lift Bridge, so Lift Bridge is right north of us now. 
Um, and in the summer, it's so much fun to see people walking back and forth between the two places. Like, yeah. this is an ideal situation. Liftbridge is a, I, I love those guys. They, uh, back pre COVID, I was playing, I was playing every Thursday night at their tap room in Stillwater. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, right. And then for their big events, they hire me to set up the full on, I bring out all my sound system and then, you know, book the bands and right. it turns into like a 12 hour day. I get there at 1030 in the morning, set up and I'm breaking down by like 10, 11 at night. And it, those, I, I look forward to those events. It's, the best, right? it's like a release. Yeah. It's yeah. A, and it's crazy how much support the community has for these uh, craft uh, spirits, craft beers. Like yeah, it's, more and more, I think it's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. It's amazing. I love it. Um, I love it. So in New Richmond's happy, they, as a draw for, uh, you know, people traveling or just, you know, coming from the cities, there's a distillery and a brewery really close to one another. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I hope they, they're going to stay there, right? They're going to stay there. Because I heard they're breaking ground now in River Falls. I, I, they're going to stay in this okay. space and then they'll probably expand again. You know, they need more room. Yeah. So we're expanding. We're building another brick house, another barrel storage area. Here in New Richmond? Here in New Richmond, right behind us, because we need more room. We're going to expand our parking. And, uh, you know, it's been talk about, there's a lot of bikers around here, a lot of cyclists. Yes. Um, some of the elite cyclers uh, in the country you know, it came a couple weeks ago for the Fat Tire World Race, mm -hmm. which was uh, interesting to see. And uh, every Thursday, there's a cycle group that comes here, um, usually around the year. You know, they, they'll ride year-round. The Big Ring Flyers. The Big are, Ring Flyers. I, I want to join that group. <laughs> they, they go on rides all the time. All the time. They're, pretty, they're, they're a lot of fun, and they promote us. Like, yeah. Like, that's, they're the best. And uh, they'll come here Thursdays, and like, they'll get a pint. And then they'll Do they have 45th Parallel jerseys? No, they don't. But Paul's been riding with them. Okay. Um, and uh, our head distiller, uh, Bob McKenzie, Bob will ride once in a while. He's an aggressive rider. And then I guess we, we didn't even know this when we hired him as a bartender. But uh, Andre uh, Pitak, um, was, it was an elite rider back in the day, and everybody knew, knows Andre. He rode with him for a while. Okay. So, uh, so all of a sudden, without thinking about it, again, it seems like a theme. Uh, we, you know, we were surrounded by these cyclists, and so because of that, I think either separately or apart, or part of the Rick House, we're going to build kind of a, a bike shop that people can store their bikes That's and awesome. get things fixed. And because the the riders say. Uh, the big ring flyers say they go to they go to you know Hudson or River Falls or you know there's nothing close by. Yeah, um, I'm. A, that's so, so great. So uh, we're pretty excited to you know create this community, mm. um, and then we're trying to put together a couple things. I don't know if we don't have anything set in stone yet, but we have opened a second distillery um, with a with a sister with a restaurant called Restaurant Lolo out of Stillwater, right? So we're not we're not uh, up and running yet, but we have two small stills and a little tasting bar behind. Um, the restaurant called Stillwater Proper. It's about four buildings north of uh, Restaurant Lolo, just south of the lift bridge. And so uh, it would be ideal, talking about, you know, biking, cycling, to uh, create a ride from, you know, one way and then and, and drive everybody back or, or shuttle them or something, and then they can, you know, buy some swag, buy, yeah. buy some food or come back. But So we'll, we'll try to create some community that way um, over the summer and into the fall. Yeah, that, coming here. So that's we're kind of excited about that. But there's actually really good. Uh, they have county roads that are shared bike yeah, route. More and more now. Uh, so Paul did this thing to me. He got me involved with this biking thing. So what we'll do is we'll drive in from the cities in the summer, 
And uh, I don't ride with him anymore. I can't. You know, it's just too it's too it's too much for me. But he'll ride on. He put in over three thousand miles last year. So, um, but we'll ride. We'll park. We'll stop at the park and ride just north of Stillwater and Holton, and then we'll ride the seventeen miles into to the building here. And uh, he said he has a couple hills, and it's like, there's aggressive grades, and there's more than two. <laughs> it's going, oh, what's going on? I'm just huffing and puffing, and I look behind. He's going no-handed behind me. I said, ah, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of addicting, and so now I, I ride by myself, but I still have been riding, like, hopefully once a week this, this, this coming year, this coming summer. Yep. And he'll ride almost every day. And, you know, he, he enjoyed the rides through, through these county roads so much that, all his kids have moved uh, moved up. His uh, his oldest uh, son Anton is our general manager now at the restaurant here. But um, um, Paul and his wife bought some property in Somerset, so it's not built on yet. But they're going to be living uh, about twelve miles from the building. Cool. So, they're going to probably commute. Well, on he their said, bike. "I need a longer ride now." I said, "Yeah, yeah you'll figure something <laughs> out." So, uh, so we're so we're happy to uh, kind of envelop this uh, this the cycling uh, environment and. It kind of makes sense too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, for sure. I, I wish there was more of that. I, I've always, uh, I love what lacrosse has done yeah. with their trail systems. It's absolutely amazing. And I don't understand why. I mean, there's, there's that ice age trail. Uh, well, it's the beginning of the ice tra- age trail or whatever up in the Taylor's falls. True. And they have some single track there. That's real cool. You know, just trail riding. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but and then River Falls has a little something, but man, the the, the trail systems in Lacrosse, the flow is just amazing. There's great climbs, it's great. Magical, yeah, it really is. And there should I wish there was more of that here. I think it's happening. I think as the as the city builds, they're developing you know, trails and walkways and bike paths in part of the infrastructure of their build out. Mm-hmm. It seems like where other where other uh, communities are not, New Richmond seems to be trying to incorporate some of that. Yeah, that's good. Know. So last yeah last summer we saw them building you know road roads closed they're building another bike trail no, that's fine build all the bike trails it's all good yep so you mentioned Ice Age uh, when we were a long time ago we were trying to figure out a name for some brand we were trying to create we thought about Ice Age right Ice Age yeah it makes sense Woolly Mammoth yeah Woolly Mammoth yeah. yeah we had a logo on everything and then you know I think Pixar had that uh, oh yeah taking <laughs> any kind of variation they they control all kinds of we couldn't. Age get, ice. We couldn't. No, we couldn't get near. We couldn't get near. We just dropped it. But at the yeah. time, it was like, oh, that's too bad. That is too bad. Could have had it before. <laughs> that's. Was it the? Was it the logo was too similar? Or was it? No, the name. The name. Uh, How can the, somebody own that? I mean, that was a period in history that sucked for same. most people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it, uh, you know what? Well, also uh, that being said. Um, we didn't have a lot of uh, money to litigate and figure yeah. out, you know, what's legal and what's not. We just like we're told certain things. So, as a as an example, when we first opened, um, six months in the, into the business, we got a nice, heavily embossed, heavy stock letter, you know, from a from a winery in France. I was like, oh, this is really cool. What's this? And it was a cease and desist letter for using the forty fifth name, the logo. Really, it was it's, uh, you know um, the winery uh, had forty fifth as their. You know, they make a red and a white. It's in Rhone Valley, uh, France, and they said, "Well, you can use this vodka, but you can't go forward." And so, because of that, in the last you know twelve, thirteen years, all our brands are kind of all over the place because we can't have we couldn't have forty. We thought we couldn't have forty fifth as the primary. Uh, a label um, to line item it to make it, you know all the same. So 
it's a little disjointed, but then uh, a few years ago, we were getting um, everything trademarked for 45th, and you know, we hired legal people. And I said, well, they don't have a case against you. You know, you can do, they're a winery in France, you're a distillery in Wisconsin, USA. You can do anything you want. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. good. Well, we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> yeah. So, so going forward, you'll see new bottle uh, shapes and logos. Everything will look, uh, everything will have the 45th on it. Okay, because so. I noticed that bourbon, border bourbon. Right. That doesn't, right? On the tag, um, on the tag, there's a little 45th, but it's it's not the primary. Yeah. Uh, like thing. what's so, on the vodka. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So okay. We'll still, you'll see uh, a, a new, uh, a, a new uh, logo coming for, for all, all the products that we make, including our Aquavits. So now we make six different Aquavits, and this was started by... Uh, by Mike, uh, Mike McCarran. Um, Mike, Mike, as a quick story about the Aquavits, Mike uh, was from the same town as Paul, uh, lives in Minneapolis, uh, you know, worked in the corporate world um, on the computer side, and he had this idea years ago, and he called us up and said, hey, I want to hire you to make some Aquavit, and Paul and I go, oh, Aquavit, what's that again? So we went to the store, and we grabbed a bottle and drank it, and it was the worst tasting. What is it? What is it? Like, wow, what is this stuff? And my grandma. No, what is it? I'll tell you. Well, my grandma, <laughs> growing up, so my grandma, uh, Swedish side, Swedish Christmas. We never had lutefisk, though, and we never had aquavit. We had everything else, I think. Uh, so, so I, I said, I think, I, I think it's a Scandinavian thing. So anyway, it's a, it is a Scandinavian spirit that's primarily or traditionally infused with caraway. So if you think caraway, you think... Uh, Know, kind of a rye, caraway bread, a little harsh, a little spicy, nutty, mm-hmm. aggressive. Um, and this was the stuff that we tried off the bottom shelf for 10 bucks. It was really rough and it was high proof. And it was like, well, how do you drink this? And so anyway, Mike said, yeah, I read the story about a Norwegian Akavit producer that was making a specialty Akavit um, with dill. Um, and they stopped exporting it to the U.S. And so he said, I want to fill that niche in the U.S. for dill Akavit. And Paul was saying, well, Mike. There's not a niche in the U.S. for Dill Akavit right now. <laughs> but Mike was adamant to pursue uh, the whole thing going forward. Um, and so we found a farmer about 10 miles north of us, um, Eric Anderson, and uh, they've been supplying us with Dill. So Dill's the back, the backbone of all six Akavits that we make. Um, in 2018, we brought in like 1,800 pounds of of Dilakavit. The whole place smelled like a pickle factory. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. So we have some aged Akavits. We have some flavored Akavits. Bartenders love it because they can make cocktails out of it. It's fairly unique. And, Is it clear? Uh, it's, uh, it, it's clear except for the aged uh, thing. So it's called Gamle Ode. And they'll have, we'll have 45th on there eventually too. But um, the Dilakavit, once it's distilled, color doesn't, doesn't go through distillation. So it, it, it all comes out clear, and then afterwards, if we put it into a barrel or infuse it with something else, it picks up flavor from that other those other botanicals. Um, so we have one with called Holiday with mint and orange peel. Um, you know, we are using it a little bit for uh, old fashions because of the orange flavor in there. But there was a couple of barrels of this dill Akavit. This is our sixth Akavit. Um, I put the dill in it. I remember asking Mike. I said, uh, I think we're out of bottles, Mike, uh, for this Dilakavit. I didn't even know what to call it back then. I thought, what's this stuff? What is this stuff? And we're out of bottles anyway. He goes, that's okay. I got a couple red wine barrels in my in my, my house, in my garage. I'll put it in my Prius and bring it over. And we had two, big, Prius. <laughs> had two big barrels, two big 60-gallon barrels of uh, red Zinfandel uh, barrels that, that were emptied that we put the, uh, the leftover uh, Dilakavit in. 
And I remember writing test one and test two on the barrels and then forgot about them for about four years. And then we were moving things to the Rick house when we built it. I, I remember talking to him, I called up Mike. I said, Mike, what's this test one again? What's this test two? He goes, well, let's try it. And uh, I tried it. It was pretty good. Um, and it picked up the color. Did you know right away? It's like, oh, that's that That's bill. pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, then, I, then I remembered, yeah. But it picked up the color of the, uh, of the red Zinfandel color. So it's almost uh, like a, a port-like thing. It's called Alderan. And in Danish, it means aged. And so it's about 90 proof. So this Alderan is fairly unique. And, and because we forgot about it, because there's not a lot of Dilakovits in the U.S., it's the oldest aged Dilakovit in the U.S., or one of the oldest now. Wow. But not planned. Yeah, yeah, by <laughs> so, accident. So but that, that's how things are happening here. So that, That's great. So yeah. are you, now is that being bottled and sold? Yeah, so we, uh, we, have, uh, we, have, we have a deal. We have a celebration with, uh, it has... Um, it has some star anise, so there's a little licorice flavor. And then, you know, also halfway through this, a few years ago, five years ago, um, we ran out of bottles again. And we said, Mike, what, we're, out of, we're out of bottles. We need bottles. And, and he goes, well, I know I don't have bottles right now, but um, you have, I know you dumped some of your rye. Uh, you have some empty rye barrels. Let's put it in there, and we'll talk about it next year. And so because of that, and he, Mike comes by the next year. He goes, I have a new brand. It's uh, our celebration in rye, our holiday in rye. So we have, so we have an aged Akavit program. Cool. And so when the young kids come in and say, show me something different, I got a lot to show them. Yeah. <laughs> show, you, they say, show me something I haven't tasted before. Like, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so that's the Aquavit program. At, uh, but our whiskeys, we started doing this during COVID to uh, increase our bottle sales. Here is um, we just started finding barrels, and we, we finish our whiskey in, in barrels, such as, um, we, first of all, nothing leaves our, our house, our building, until it's five years age. Right? It's at least five, then we can release it. So we found a couple of cognac barrels. So we'll dump our barrels of bourbon, let's say, put them in the cognac barrels for three or four months, and it's a cognac-finished bourbon. And this is after it has aged? It, after it's aged, five, five or six. Half. Okay, so five it's is the number, five, and yeah. then... It aged for you know either three to six months in a, let's say, a sherry barrel. We've done sherry release. We've done a cognac release. Um, we're finding different barrels that we can age things. And one of the, one of the funnest ones was somebody approached us with a, a maple syrup. Um, he want, well, first of all, he, 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 uh, he has a maple syrup company, and he wanted a bourbon barrel to put his maple syrup in. So he put his maple syrup in one of our bourbon barrels, and then after three months, he you know, dumped it out, marketed it as a bourbon-finished maple syrup, gave the barrels back to us, we put we put uh, our five year old bourbon in that maple syrup barrel, and uh, did, did a maple finished release um, last Thanksgiving before, and then this last Thanksgiving too, and the first one we sold out in one day, and then we dumped we dumped more barrels last year. Yeah. So, so we might have a few more, but they go pretty fast. Um, sure. It just softens them up, you know, a lot, and uh, it it just provides a different uh, flavor profile. And a way to sell more bottles. But then you got to wait five thing. years. If something's a success, it's like, dang it, we should have made well, two. We, we have we have other barrels. I mean, all our when we make a batch, it's like an eighteen barrel run. So we have barrels going forward. You know, sometimes there's a small gap of a few months, but usually, yeah, there's there's five years um, of something available at any given time. So, so I mean, how many barrels are do you have? Like just aging right now i think we've got about two thousand total okay so i mean it's, we're, we're i think we're considered a, a mid-level uh distillery you know we're not one of the big people it's a lot of barrels we're not though. tiny anymore 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, working back there in a rick house for years before this event center was where, uh, built, um, you know, you have to lift the barrels up in these racks and you move them and you think, boy, they're, they're, if anybody hasn't seen them, they're about uh, six tiers high. And, uh, you know, each each rack holds two barrels and each barrel is about 500 pounds with, with the wood. So it's, you know, I can pick up with a forklift four barrels at a time. That's 2,000 pounds. But if I'm not feeling it or if I'm a little wobbly from the night before, I'll just walk away. Because I figured if one barrel goes, they're all going to go. Oh, man. <laughs> I might as well just keep on walking. <laughs> Probably looks like the national like treasure archive, Fort Knox. You get you get you get your forklift fork stuck in the in the barrel racks, and it kind of kind of moves it a certain way where you think it's it, it's wobbling. I better. So have you ever just like walked away and then come back the next day? Not the next day. If after a cup after a cup of coffee or a few hours. Yeah, you're just looking at it. <laughs> yeah, how, or forklift you know, is stuck. <laughs> what what I'll what I'll do is I'll I'll get somebody else to help me. Yes. Yeah. Just walk me through this, or you do it. Yeah, I'd be like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah, <laughs> here, let so, me grab my camera. Sometimes that's precarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, all in all, you know, without with everybody moving barrels around, I don't think we've lost more than you know five barrels at a time. But sometimes, you know, one falls, and damn it, hopefully it doesn't knock the rest of them over. Quick, roll around on the floor, <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> yeah, get some straws. Right. Oh man. So yeah, so we're uh, we're having fun and it's moving forward. And all of a sudden, instead of you know three employees, eight employees, now we have like over forty, sometimes fifty. Wow! And so congratulations. It's, it's overwhelming. I don't know. It's yeah. Well, you have a but, an event coordinator. I met her last week, yeah, Lindsay. Lindsay Kittle, super right. nice lady. And she's from around town. She knows everybody here. Everybody loves her. So it's uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, she's been bringing a lot of people um, to the space, which is which is fun. And yeah. I. I'm, I'm I'm both looking forward to it intentively, like oh boy, uh, thinking about this summer because with the two we have two patios, we have one on the north side, overlooking Lift Bridge, and one on the west side, uh, facing the sun uh, sunset as it goes down, which is kind of well, cool. Don't you have a patio on the? And then the event center has a patio, oh, and then okay. um, and they have the overhang patio. So the event center has two patios as well. So, and then every year, you know, we uh, in the end, last possibly the last Saturday of September. Um, this will be like 12, 13 years we've been doing it as a bluegrass festival. It's kind of a thank you for everybody we have. Last year we had like 2,200 people come in. Wow. And uh, we'll have like three three bluegrass bands play. Some vendors will show up, some, you know, f- people with food. And we get these people, you know, kids, dogs. What What are the dates there of that? I, I, I don't know. It's a, don't know the last Saturday date of September. Okay. So it's, it's usually the last Saturday of September. And cool. It's still, you know, fairly warm. Yep. Sun's up to about six o'clock. The last band plays into the sun usually as it's setting. So uh, oh, we play out in this green space and uh, it's, a, it's just a good, uh, it's a good event for, for everybody, for the community. There's a, a group out of uh, River Falls that you guys should have play this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, High and Rising. It's a, it's a, Husband wife duo, and then they have a they have some pretty high caliber musicians that come and play with them, and they travel all over the state of Wisconsin. Bluegrass festivals. We should probably book them now. Then we should because yeah. otherwise they're going to be booked. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. And she's like this tall. And she plays a stand up bass. Perfect. And she's got this really wonderful, earthy. I don't want to call it baritone voice. She has a low register voice. Right. And then and then her husband jim he's a flat pick guitar player and then they have Sweet. a fantastic uh i'd call him a drummer but it's you'll see what i'm talking about when you see him he okay. has a very unique drum kit uh situation going on and then um 
then they'll bring in like fiddle players or that's oh, ideal. Yeah, and yeah. And, and they they collaborate a lot with other bluegrass groups. So yeah, yeah the bluegrass we, the bluegrass thing really worked. You know, the first year that we did this was out over on the we didn't have this space, so it's over in the asphalt um, from the production area, and we had a cover band, right? Which is fine, cover mm-hmm. band. Everybody hears that. Next year, I think we had a, a blues band, like bluesy and. That blues and bourbon, you know, we didn't have bourbon then either, but it's like, ah, blues and maybe. Yeah. But the bluegrass thing just kind of, it, it felt right. It, mm-hmm. the, 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 it brought the right people. You know, the kids can come, families are like, don't have to worry about. I mean, and people dance and people just l- listen to the music and, and eat food and, and, and drink you know, whatever they want, um, basically. But uh, it's almost like a big picnic. So the bluegrass, as far as music, is ideal for us here. Yeah. So really happy to, you know, pursue it and hopefully it gets bigger and bigger so well it sounds like it yeah. can't get much bigger is it do you is it here on premises uh, we use you? a green space in the middle of the production and the event center okay and uh we have a, one of our farmers brings a trailer they go up in a trailer so they have you know for some who does your sound do you have a sound do you have a guy or do you hire a company or like i want to do it okay i, I can uh, show up and you talk to i can't remember who <laughs> does the sound okay i don't probably have somebody has done the sound but i don't know like Usually one of the people in one of the three bands will say, I'll do the sound for this, yes. and then they'll be... Yep. So they set up for their band, and they'll set up for the other two. I think that's... That's pretty common. That's the way that, I do it at the okay. Bridge. Okay. Yeah. But you can throw your hat in the ring and need Why a not? sound guy. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be bad. Well, maybe I want to play it. And maybe you want to... <laughs> I would love to. I can, <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. But well, be perfect. I'm, I'm excited to play tomorrow night. Um, yeah, tomorrow it's our second uh, second night for live music. I think we're going to do this every Wednesday. Um and you're playing on the 23rd of March, which is our 15-year anniversary. That's, so I'm looking pretty, forward to that. I'm pumped about that. That's going to be great. Yeah. No, me too. It's, I came last week. I had uh, a pizza, and it was fantastic. I had the one with a truffle and the white sauce. Oh, yeah. Um, it's called the Antonio. I had the Antonio. Antonio. I, I ate that <laughs> whole thing. mushrooms. It, it was so good. <laughs> mushrooms and cheese, basically. Shiitake. Yeah. Well, it had some meat yeah. on it, too, like a dried, cured uh, bacon, maybe. Oh, cool. It was good. It was yeah. delicious. Um, yeah, I kind of went down the rabbit hole with, uh, with, the, with the pizza making thing. So we got this wood-fired oven from Italy. Um, it does have a gas assist, but the wood-fired oven is a pretty large format oven to use. And, you know, it came from the restaurant side in the past. I really haven't made pizzas. I made thin crust, little cracker crust pizzas. Were your right? partners like, okay, Scott, there you go. <laughs> they threw me back here. Go yeah. do it. <laughs> so... Since we, uh, since we mill, you know, our grain for whiskey, I, I was thinking I can mill grain for pizza too. So about 10% of, uh, of the, of the, of the flour that's milled, um, we use from here. So I used a, I use a rye and then I use five or 10% of another, uh, an heirloom wheat. So a, a quick, a quick aside is that uh, back in 2016, Arlen or the Strati family, Rustmar Farms, ran out of wheat temporarily. And they said, oh, you're out of wheat. How did that happen? I don't know. Out of wheat. But he goes, but the, he goes I have a solution. Uh, Arlen said, the, the guy next to me, his son kind of took over and grew some, some heritage or heirloom wheat called Red Fife. And um, so this, this wheat, it's in, it's in, uh, you'll see it in a lot of co-ops and bakeries because it, it's in its original you know, DNA form. Uh, so people with... Not celiac, but with wheat allergies, can digest mm-hmm. this wheat a lot easier because it's never been altered. I traced it back to you know through Canada through the Fife Farm, and then I think it was in Glasgow. I think it was in the Ukraine, but um, but uh, we distilled it. So in 2016, we bought a bunch. It's expensive, 
So this uh, spring, we'll be coming out with a heritage wheat whiskey called Red Fife Wheat. So it's fairly unique, and uh, awesome. I'm excited about that. But um, I'll mill. I'll, I'll I have a couple more from uh, uh, Dave Greenfield. He brings over buckets for me, so I'll mill it up in a. I don't use that much, so it's in a coffee grinder. I mill this uh, heritage wheat up, and then use that in a pizza crust. So we got wheat and rye, uh, our rye, and then the rest is double O flour. But I mean, there's so many things to. I mean, it's the simplest. Double O is like the. It's a finely milled Italian flour. Okay. From Caputo. I was hearing uh, someone talk about that um, with pasta, different pastas, and that right. double O is like the primo, right? It, it 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 works really well, and and I really would love to source out a locally milled, uh, a local mill miller that can uh, like like select. Uh, you know, different things, and I can just say, "Hey, I want this. I want this," and do our own custom blend locally mm-hmm. instead of getting some flour from Italy. Not that it's bad; it's, it's really good. But uh, you know, yeah, keep it local. Keep it local. And my goal for the for the restaurant is, to, you know, at least during the spring and summer and fall seasons, is to have 100 percent everything from here. And so, because of that, last last summer or last spring, we started a farmers market back here. We do that again this year. Nice. So we had forty two, forty four, forty five vendors. I think at, at the height of the season, I didn't know there was that many really? people growing, like growing really good crops around here. And uh, they came in and set up, and everybody. We brought about two hundred people a day, and it was on a Sunday. We're gonna have to call. Then, all right. So so dad, my dad, yeah. he he should have owned a bike shop. So he's a mechanic. <laughs> he's a grease monkey. Yeah. That, like so, he can he can do that, and then we can uh, have mom grow vegetables full timers. I know we got some full timers. Come back up along. here, They're- yeah. <laughs> so then we have the Bloody Mary bar, you know, and then we got a Bloody Mary bar, and then you know we have a uh, we have food here. So, but back to the pizza thing, I I tell you, I um, it took about six months to kind of hone in on it because mm-hmm. there's hydration ratio, which is how wet the dough is, and then fermentation time, and how long does it sit? You know, four right. hours. Uh, 12 hours, and it's, 24 it's hours. Not, nothing's frozen. 72. We don't have a freezer. We have a little box freezer that, you know, we're, there's no room in there. Um, so, and we don't have a walk-in cooler here. So uh, everything is is uh, is made. You know, I just think the Italian way is just set out and you just do it. But all, all that was good philosophy to have. Um, but then in the summer when you run out of things, you just got to work with what you got. Yeah. <laughs> so you just move faster. And for about six months, I had this idea. It was my fault. I, th- I didn't want a mixer. First of all, they were pretty expensive. Uh, so I was hand mixing everything until it didn't make sense to do it anymore. So, uh, mm. so we got a nice Italian uh, spiral mixer right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's I'm pretty, pretty big. Yeah. It's a, it's a 40 quart bowl, which is, uh, wow. which is ideal for, for us here. Yeah. But, uh, so so uh, going forward, I think we'll, besides pizzas, we'll have some entree options too, using uh, you know, local produce, local local uh, uh, meat producers around here too. There's so much around here; yeah. it's kind of blew my mind. So yeah. pretty excited going into uh, going into this next season. No, yeah. and it, I get the feeling that the community totally supports it. I think everybody's you know, excited. Everybody's super pumped. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've heard it's. I'm excited. Like when I was down in Lacrosse a lot. I'd go into say Woodman's and right. they, have you been into a Woodman's? Yeah. I couldn't believe it the first time I went. It was like the biggest store I've ever seen, a grocery store. Every uh yeah, every year um I don't know what what's going on this year but there's a thing in Madison, uh Wisconsin called Distill America. Um it's on it's on one of the lakes. It's usually at the Edgewater. I think it was moved because of you know COVID issues over the years, so I don't know what it's in May sometime this year. 
but there's a Woodman's in Madison, and we went in there, and they had our, you know, our whiskeys right there. It's yes, like, oh, I know. I when really cool. I saw it. Uh, yeah, and it's in a good spot down at the one in La Crosse. I was like, yeah. hey, I know these guys. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah that's right. Um, no, that's so. awesome, man. Well, congratulations cool. on the success. Thanks a lot. This thanks is, lot, I'm, thanks for, like, I mean, I, I guess I can't see how, oh, dude, almost an hour. No, I got to get going. I got I, stuff to do. No, no, no. I, I know what I'm saying is like we've almost been talking an hour. Like that went way longer like than that. I thought it would be. So anyway, it was, it was an easy one. Scott, thanks. Great. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for being on the podcast. Chris, see you tomorrow. I'll see you Wednesday. I'll be here. Sweet. I'll be here. Yeah. Uh, I think I start at 530. Great. Is, is that it? So all right. Fun. All right. Th thanks a lot. Thanks, bud. Right. Well, ladies and gents, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the support. I... In these past episodes, I've been using a lot of music that I have written over the years um, just as my jingles. But today I thought I'd, I'd uh, leave you with some music from High and Rising. Uh, High and Rising, Jim and Laura Farley have this amazing groovy bluegrass sound. It's really quite wonderful. They just dropped an album. You can find it on uh, Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Uh, they, their website is highandrising.net check them out. They travel all over Wisconsin uh, and just play a lot of bluegrass festivals. I'm going to try to get them to headline the bluegrass festival at 45th parallel, which takes place the last weekend of September. So this is song that I'm going to leave you with. It's called moth song off their, their new album. So thank you so much. And we'll talk next week. <laughs> Chasing for Sometimes I wonder What would be Just like a moth Chases after the fire Your heart is so fire The moth is weak If a butterfly flew at night Chase after the same Just out to the sea.